Welcome into another edition of A Train Sports Talk Podcast. So I want to say, first of all, I'm excited to announce that I can also now be heard on such outlets as Apple Podcasts. I do believe iHeart. Of course, I've been on Spotify, but I just got the news that I'm now on Apple, thanks to the notification. And I'm also grateful for the two new sponsors that I've picked up. So, it's been a very rewarding week this week as far as being a podcaster. Now, what I want to do this evening, I want to kind of hone it in home. Uh, Tonight is Friday Night Football, so what I want to do is just go ahead and give you some scores of, I'm here in the Wichita area, to those of you who are listening to my podcast, I'm here in Wichita, Kansas, and there were actually some games on Thursday nights in other parts of the region so I want to bring us up to date before I look at the Friday score so in games Thursday night there was Blue Valley Northwest upending Blue Valley 24 to 17 then you had Blue Valley High School South against Blue Valley North High School with Blue Valley North winning that game 42 to 21 Cape and Mount Carmel thrashed Emporia 56-13. And those are the scores that we have for you as far as Thursday night games. Uh, A score that is missing, hopefully I can effort that before I end up shifting away from this broadcast, would be Wichita Collegiate High School against Bennington. So I hope to effort that score eventually. Bringing you up to date on today's game. And there's a bevy of high school football going on in the state of Kansas right now as we speak. Uh, right now, some scores that are missing is the Bayshore Linwood versus Tonganoxie. That's a missing score. Rolla versus Pawnee Heights. This score is missing as well, too. Uh, a score that we do have within the fourth quarter is Sabetha versus Nemaha Central. That score is not up at 22 all. Once again, that game is in the fourth quarter. Also in the fourth quarter, and I'm pretty sure they have a running clock now. South Gray versus Mineola, and that score is 42-0. Also in the fourth quarter, uh, Republic County versus Minneapolis, and Minneapolis has a 20-14 lead. In the third quarter, Caney Valley versus Erie. Caney has a 20-point lead, leading that contest 28-8. Also in the third quarter, Burlington versus Osawatomie with the score of 46 to 0. In the fourth quarter, in a slugfest and a low scoring affair, Council Grove over West Franklin 8 to 6. Fourth quarter score also reads CPA 28 versus Royal Valley 12. Uh, and in the third quarter, we're looking at DeSoto over. 
Vassar Linwood, and that score is 42 to 14. In the fourth, in the third quarter, Prairie View versus Parsons. Prairie View has a 41-0 lead in that game. And in what looks to be a shootout going on right now, Stafford is over Peabody Burns, 38-34. And right now in the fourth quarter in a blowout, Inman over Sacred Heart, 42-0. In progress, East versus Southeast, we have no score on that. Uh, in the third quarter, we have Hugleton over Guyman, which is in Oklahoma, 42-13. Also in the third quarter, we have Cunningham with a 40-6 lead over Fowler. Donovan West over Johnson Brock in the fourth quarter, 38-22. And in Hayes, we have the Hayes team over Liberal right now in the fourth quarter, 27-7. to We have other games in process, in progress, but no score. In the fourth quarter, we have Olathe West down to Lawrence, and that score is 35-7. to uh, Tonight, Northwest versus Southeast, no score on that game. And then we have, in the fourth quarter, Central Heights, 30 and NHHS zero. Also, another game in progress with no score. Olathe the West versus South. Uh, the Paoli Tonga Noxy game. That scores in the fourth quarter at 28 to 28. Also, in the fourth quarter. Olathe North High School over Olathe East, 21-20 in the fourth quarter. A game that has actually gone final. Chapman over Abilene, 46-0. Another score that is final, Sedan over Central, 50-0. Also some more finals, Ottawa over Spring Hill, 21-0. Game in progress, Lansing 41, Shawnee Heights 0. Game going on up the road in Goddard, Arc City 13, Goddard 36. That game is in the third quarter. A game that has gone final. Burning game thrashes Hartford 54-6. to six. Other games that are also in progress. This game is in the second quarter, so I'm taking it it has a late start. Be Rossville over St. Mary's 25-0 in the second quarter. Game that's in the fourth quarter. Garden City 14, Dodge City 0. At halftime, Beloit is leading Concordia 20-0. Another game that looks to have had a late start. 
Washburn Rural over Pittsburgh, 6-0. That game was in the first quarter. And those are pretty much well in the third quarter. Newton, which this looks to be an upset in the makings if they hold on, in the third quarter, Newton has a three-point lead over Mays, 27-24. to That game is in the third quarter, not sure how close it is to the fourth, but it's a game that if Newton holds off, that would definitely have to be considered as an upset. In other games that are also in the fourth quarter, Fredonia has a slim lead over Cherryville by a score of 12-8 to in the fourth quarter. And also in the fourth quarter, a tied-up ball game between Silver Lake and Raleigh County with a score of 21-21. to Also in the fourth quarter, and I'm sure they have a running clock for this one, Valley Heights is leading Horton 60-0. A game that has gone final, but no score is Ashland versus Deerfield, so hopefully we can effort getting that score as well, too. Also in the fourth quarter, Andover is leading Central 28-0. A game that has gone final. Wichita County versus Hill City. Wichita County winning that game 48-0. A close game also in the fourth quarter. Hoisington 26 over Halstead 22. And a game that has gone final. Clearwater 61 over Mulvane 14. That game is final. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to take a break and slip in a word from my sponsor. When I come back, I will have some more for you. So stay tuned. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith. Welcome back once again. And we have some final scores to pass along to you here. Lansing 41-7 to over Shiny Heights. Chapman 46-0 over Abilene. El Dorado over Lebec County, 30-14. Sedan beats Central, 50-0. In the game that's going on in the fourth quarter, Hayden over Manhattan, 28-14. Also in the fourth quarter, MHPMA, 40 over Nickerson, 6 in the fourth quarter. In the game that had to start late, at a later time, Argonia Attica is leading Oxford in the second quarter, 7-0. to zero. In the game that is tied up in the fourth quarter, very intriguing game, you have the 5A state champs in a dog fight in the fourth quarter, Mill Valley against Bentonville. That score is tied up at 28 apiece. Keep in mind that Mill Valley is the one that snapped Derby's 26-game win streak. It was a battle of 5A champ versus 6A champs, and it wasn't a close game either. So keeping an eye on this game because that game like is hanging in the balance, and it can go either way. And if Bentonville were to pull that off, that would have to definitely be an upset, upset as I do believe Mill Valley is the defending 5A champs and most likely ranked number one in 5A, if not in the state after their win over Derby. So we'll keep a close eye on that game and see how it turns out. 
also in the fourth quarter, Inman is leading Sacred Heart. I'm pretty sure that's a running clock, 50 to 0. Prairie View over Parsons, 41 to 0 in the fourth quarter. And it looks like Caney Valley is leading 36 to 8 over Erie. That game also in the fourth quarter. A game that has gone final, and I'm pretty sure some games will be going final as we approach after the 9 o'clock hour. South Gray has defeated Mineola 48-0. So there is a final. Also, it looks like Ottawa has defeated Spring Hill with a final score of 21-0. Still waiting word on Derby versus Bishop Carroll is that's the big game going on tonight in the area. Played at Bishop Carroll Family Stadium. Both teams, well, Bishop Carroll enters 2-0, Derby 1-1. So I'm pretty sure Derby wants to get a bad taste out of their mouth. Now what I'm going to do while I'm waiting on more final scores to pop up i'm going to shift into a story that's building up a little bit of steam how it appears that a major college university is helping an hbcu school which is historically black college and university so we're going to look at this story right now Well, I appreciate all the hard work that Chairman Deloach is doing at the County Commission. Unfortunately, with uh, Sunshine Laws, um, you know, I can't just pick up the phone and call them, so I didn't mean to throw the curveball out there. But nonetheless, the relationship between the county and the city is very strong. Look, we are in un unprecedented times. The federal government is, uh, is putting together uh, relief packages. The governor has done a tremendous job with his relief package. There is a role for local governments to play. And I strongly believe that we need to start that conversation immediately. What is our role? What does our package look like? How does it complement what the state and what the federal government is doing as well? And we need to have that conversation now. So I am so thrilled that we are going to be meeting uh, early next week, either Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, to start this conversation and put together our local relief efforts as well. And I'm pretty sure you've spoken to some local business owners. Can you tell me about some of the worries that they have with this um, or even some of the things that they're looking to do to, you know, help this, help, you know, during this time? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I have spoken to a lot of business owners, uh, members of the banking community. I do know that one of the greatest challenges right now is cash flow. Uh, the governor's got an incredible emergency bridge loan program, 0% uh, interest up to $50,000 for one year. So I think that we need to come together and talk about how we can complement what they're doing on the state level, complement any emergency packages that come down from the federal level as well. But to answer your question, cash flow seems to be the greatest concern right now with local businesses and small businesses. And a little bit, we're talking a little bit about the, um, the cases here in Tallahassee, well, Leon County, excuse me. Uh, there are five cases now total uh, for Leon County. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about how this testing has gone and kind of what uh, worries that people might have? I'm really proud of our medical community. Uh, they have come together 
for our facility out at the Northwood Center. I'm proud of the city of Tallahassee to be able to put together the logistics. We basically built a city with all of the infrastructure in the parking lot and um, the data collection center, that's how we refer to it because we don't actually test here in Tallahassee, is going very well. So I believe that we have tested over 320 individuals in three days. I think we need to be prepared for the community that we will get more confirmed cases because we are collecting the data and they are being tested here. So I think we need to be mindful of all the CDC uh, guidelines, social distancing, personal hygiene, so that we can suppress the spread of the coronavirus in our community. But the medical community has done a wonderful job. Both PMH, CMRC, Public Health Department. Now what you are hearing is what's going on in the state of Florida pretty much. But the meat of this story is, as I said the onset, money pulled from Florida State University Convention Center to fund FAMU, which is Florida A&M University Stadium, renovations. A quarter of the money, and that person you heard speaking answering the question was Mayor John Daly on tapping into blueprint money for local economic stimulus. A quarter of the money destined for a convention center on Florida State's campus now will be diverted to fund renovations to Florida A&M University's football stadium. During an hour-long discussion, the Blueprint Intergovernmental Agency kicked around funding concepts, kicked around funding sources, but only after a quick motion to pull back committed funding for FSU. In March, the agency of all 12 city and county commissioners committed $40 million to build the convention center, which now exists only in theory. On Thursday, it took $10 million of that money to get Bragg Memorial Stadium in shape for the 2021 season after fears that structural issues would mean the team may not be able to play there. Florida A&M University President Larry Robinson said the funding would have long-term impacts for the university, community, and Tallahassee. The return on this investment will include positive economic outcomes for the citizens of Tallahassee and the Southside FAMU, President Larry Robinson said in a statement. This is excitement for people who attend athletic events in the venue he added. It's inspiration and pride for those who understand the cultural significance of all that occurs inside and around the stadium. The debate between commissioners, however, turned tense with accusations that the move was being done on a whim and without proper analysts of the effect of reducing funding to the FSU project. In order for us to make this happen for Florida A&M University, Sacrifices need to be made, said County Commissioner Nick Maddox, who made the motion. They are in dire need. This is not something they just want. They need the stadium renovations or they will not be able to play next season. In July, FAMU requested the funds for an estimated $6.3 million for major structural and seating repairs with the additional cost for a second system, lighting, stadium gates, and fieldhouse renovations. Bragg Stadium was built in 1957. The last renovations occurred in 1982. 
FAMU athletics official lauded the IA's move in furthering its goal and need as a community pillar. We're extraordinarily proud the intergovernmental agency was able to listen to our vision and understand the time of need to protect the community asset that we know as Bragg Memorial Stadium. Vice President and Director of Athletics Courtney Gosha said in a statement. Bragg is more than a football stadium. It has served our community in the greatest time of need. Most recently, it's been a testing site for over 45,000 Floridians in one of the biggest health crises in the history of our country. One man who will occupy the field, FAMU football head coach Willie Simmons, said he was excited at the prospect of repairing the stadium. This means we'll be able to play in the one of the most storied venues in college football, he said. We're thankful the commissioners are giving back to FAMU. We've been a staple and pillar in this community for a long time. County Commissioners Christian Dozer, Jimbo Jackson, and Chairman Brian Doslodge were the only three no votes on the measure. Going into the meeting, staff suggested that the renovations could be funded through the Office of Economic Vitality but would require cuts to other already approved projects or programs. It also indicated FAMU's request could be funded through the Blueprint Infrastructure Budget, but that would bump other taxpayer-funded projects in the pipeline out of being funded. Jackson said the IA could be more ingenious in finding funding and Dosslodge said he was not in favor of the project unless money in fact came from the blueprint infrastructure budget. Dozier wanted the item to be pushed out of the IA's December meeting to allow more time to evaluate the impact of cutting funding from one project to give to another. She mentioned a $64 million shortfall in sales tax revenues projected through 2040 in the blueprint infrastructure budget. While the OEV strategic plan does not provide support for using tax dollars on venue repairs, state law does not prohibit it. We are pitting good projects for our community against each other and implying that the process doesn't matter, she said. That is substantial. We are doing this without knowledge, without knowing if we will lose the convention center or other projects. Ben Pingree, the director of Combined City County Planning Department, said he had spoken with FSU officials who confirmed they were understanding of what's before the board. The renovations to Bragg are projected to pump as much as $26 million in economic output into the local market through associated jobs. One public comment was taken. The majority of speakers admonished spending $40 million on a convention center. Stop this project, said Michael Yost during his three minutes. Delay it. Do what you have to. But even one cent, but even one cent for this project is too much. State Rep. Ramon Alexander 
of Tallahassee said the decision shouldn't have been mixed with such a back and forth discussion when it came to a critical need for a crucial part of Tallahassee. When we ask for one simple thing, we get pushback, he said in a Facebook Live video moments after the vote. So there you have some happenings going on with renovations there with Florida A&M and how it's being handled. But I think it's nice that you take big Florida State University, big school, such as Florida State University, taking funding from one project to help, as some would say, the little guy. But it's that little guy that people are depending on protesting during the coronavirus pandemic that we're in. So there's a need to that stadium more than just football. So I want to, I think that's a commendable thing that they're doing. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pause here and take a break to allow time for my sponsor. So I will be back with more. Stay tuned. You're listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith. Welcome back. And I have another interesting story on how a coach did not want to keep coaching a certain individual only to have to sit home and has, in addition, lost his job and is sitting at home watching the player that he didn't want to coach playing for a right to play for an NBA championship. Right now, his team is in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're talking about one Jimmy Butler. Brett Brown did not want to keep coaching Jimmy Butler. So by now, the drama surrounding Jimmy Butler's departure from the Philadelphia 76ers is well known. There is a school of thought that he just wanted to leave on his own. But there is also the school of thought that he and former coach Brett Brown did not get along. Butler basically confirmed that second thought when he joined J.J. Reddick on his podcast to discuss what really happened during his time with the Sixers and specifically his relationship with Brown. Now with the Miami Heat, Butler has his team up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals while the Sixers were swept in round one and Brown has since been fired. This caused fans to ask the question again. Why did Butler leave the Sixers in the first place? He could still be in Philadelphia helping them go deep in the playoffs. According to a report by the Philadelphia Inquirer, Keith, Inquirer's Keith Pompey, he confirmed that Brown did not want Butler here anymore and that Ben Simmons played a role as well. Brown, the Pompey reports reads thusly, Brown didn't want to coach Jimmy any longer. There are always two sides of the story. Butler's camp continues to say that it was his decision to leave and that there was an offer on the table. We can debate that for months, but I'm here to tell you that Brown wanted no part of coaching Butler again. 
He went as far as calling certain players to voice his concern and to get them on his side. Some in Ben Simmons' camp also didn't want Butler back. Neither did a lot of the coaches. Clearly, Butler is not for everybody. His leadership style can rub some people the wrong way. And that is what it looks like happened in Philadelphia. Butler and Brown butted heads, and Butler also got under Simmons' skin. It is, a, it is unfortunate for the Sixers as a whole, as they could definitely use a guy like him right now. But they can't do anything about it now except move forward. Guess who else went farther than the 76ers did? Even though there's a lot of finger pointing going on right now. But there's also one Landry Shamit. So you have to wonder how the Sixers are actually feeling right now because two of their former players made deeper runs in the playoffs than the 76ers did. But we have another story brewing right now, sticking with the NBA. I know there's NBA action going on. There's Denver versus the LA Lakers. We'll get to that, maybe. But I want to get to some stories. Sixers Joel Embiid issues warning to the rest of the NBA after snubs. The Philadelphia 76ers are led by two young stars in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. The two of them are ranked highly in the league as they are both supremely talented and they deserve the praise they receive. As for our postseason awards go, Simmons received a lot of love as he was named to the All-Defensive First Team. And he was named to the All-NBA Third Team. As for Embiid, he did not make either team and that did not sit well with the big man. Embiid took to Twitter to voice his displeasure, and he has a warning for the rest of the league. He sounds like he is ready to get to work and have a terrific season on the floor. In his tweet, he says, I'm being treated like I got deported. We'll see you next year. MB still had a terrific season in terms of numbers. He had 20 points and 11.6 rebounds. And he also and he also three in three point in three assists. That comes with having to share the floor with a transitional big man in Al Horford, and he had to deal with constant double teams every night. He deserves some type of award for his production this season. So Embiid is feeling kind of on the salty side, and can you blame him? Me personally, I would have split one of those awards between him and Ben Simmons. Because the knock on Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons still can't shoot. And Ben Simmons isn't working on his shot selection. Or is not working on his shot, period. 
I'll say this. When you look at a couple of the pieces that's missing. And I'm also reminded of a story from Gary Payton. So let me run this story back. And this will explain to you what's wrong with today's players. Gary Payton was a cocky, trash-talking rookie when he came into the NBA. He also had a veteran on the team by the name of one Xavier McDaniel. And the story goes, Xavier had asked or maybe told or maybe demanded that Gary do something and Gary let his mouth fool around and write a check that his rear end couldn't cash. Something that Xavier took exception of and long story short, Xavier basically put him to sleep. Now, I had a chance to ask Xavier about this. He was on a local radio show here in town, and he says that he has talked to Gary Payton, and he wants to welcome Gary Payton to put that story out because he doesn't remember it. Something tells me Xavier did it. It was in practice, and Xavier basically put Gary Payton in the sleeper hole, but he didn't let him fall to sleep. But he let him know, next time I tell you to do something, you do it. After that, Gary Payton said he never had another problem. Whatever X wanted is what X got. But he also said that was some tough love that he needed. Because had he went to a team with a bunch of youngsters like himself, he said there's the possibility he wouldn't have been the player that he is today. And he owes a lot of his thanks and gratitude to an Xavier McDaniel because your teams need those veterans that will get up in your grill. He said, these teams today, they just don't have that. And quite frankly, they don't want that. Quite frankly, which is why Jimmy Butler is in Miami and his team is leading the Celtics two games to none. But what's the other component that the Sixers are missing? Because it seemed during his rookie season at a time when he was flourishing, the Sixers decided to trade him to the Clippers, one Landry Shamit. Landry was developing. He was being productive. And then they pulled the trade. Landry would make a nice point guard in Philadelphia, alleviating the burden of Ben Simmons being your point guard, put Ben at a power forward while Joel is the center, and let Landry develop into that floor leader that Philadelphia, me personally, I think that they really, really need. So you get rid of veteran leadership, but at the same time you get rid of a budding point guard who can do nothing but get better under the coaching of one Doc Rivers and benefit from playing with a Kawhi Leonard. Look at what he did for Fred. Yes, we're talking about Fred Van Vliet. And Fred was starting to make his own mark as well too. But I think that year with Kawhi, it enhanced his play. And then when Kawhi left, he basically just 
picked up the mantle and ran with it. That's why Fred could make the statement boldly and say it like he did when asked the question. Is this Kawhi's last game with the Toronto Raptors? Fred said at that moment, he said he didn't have any idea. He said they want to enjoy the moment. He said, but if this was his last game, if he's going to be out of here, he says no hard feelings. He said, we'll just wish him the best of luck. But at the same time, we'll give him a good ass whipping when we play him. So that was Fred Van Vliet. And that's the thing about a Fred Van Vliet type player, too. He will also get in your grill. Share this story with you. Young kid, Midwest City, Oklahoma, recruited by Greg Marshall. Lofty credentials coming out of high school. It didn't translate over to the college game right away. They're having a practice. This young kid's name is Shaquille Morris. They're having a practice, a scrimmage. Fred Van Vliet says, Coach, I don't want him on my team. Fred felt like he wasn't putting out the effort. Coach Marshall, that same Shaq Morris, made him stay home and told him, you decide what you want to do before I let you back on the court. Leadership at its best. Leadership that is lacking. From the pro game down to the college game. Stay tuned. There is more to come. I'm going to try to bring you abreast upon some more scores. Hopefully we have some more finals. And probably get you some. Not only just high school scores. But also get you some more scores. Well. From Lakers versus Nuggets. Let's see how that game is unfolded. And I want to say on tomorrow. Stay tuned. We have a good one tomorrow. We have guests, or at least one guest, if not two. So you want to stay tuned because tomorrow is going to be a good one. I'm not going to even tell you who it is, but you want to stay tuned tomorrow. But right now, let me go ahead and slip in this break so I can come back and wrap up my last segment with scores and more sporting news. You listen to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith. Welcome back to my final segment here. A Train Sports Talk Podcast with yours, Anthony Smith, bringing you the area high school scores. And based on what I've done here, I've condensed it down to the top 25. So, looking at the top 25 state of Kansas, right now we still have no score on number 17, Cheney versus Garden Plain. However, number 25, Payola, knocks off number 16th ranked Payola, 35 to 28. Number 15, DeSoto, knocks off Baser Linwood, 49 to 28. Number 14, Mays, holds off in Newton for a 34-27 victory. That game was tied up. For the longest and looked like Newton might have been able to pull it out. But Mays 
flexed his will and pulled it out 34-27. And these scores I'm reading to you are finals. Number 12, Lawrence throttled Olathe West 42-14. Game is still in progress. Number 13, Junction City versus number 22, Seaman. Also number 10, Olathe North is in action still. Uh, number 9, Perry LeCompton over number and number 19, that game is still in progress. Also, number 6, ranked Northwest and Southeast is in progress. And we are waiting for some more scores to pop up. Number 11, Rossville versus Cincinnati. That game is actually at halftime that scores 25 to 0 and we're also waiting for the score between number five bishop carroll and number eight number five derby and number eight bishop carroll waiting for the score on that one and uh correction from earlier yes derby is one and one against bishop carroll two and oh Waiting on the score from number 18, May South versus Hutchison. Also, number four, Andale against Wellington. A game that is final, but we don't have no score. Number two, St. Thomas Aquinas versus number three, Bishop Meage. And also, uh, no score on number 24, Topeka versus Emporia. And I'm almost going to assume that some of these games could very well be played tomorrow. So, that's where we stand with that. Uh, chances are, if I don't get these scores tonight, as I lead into my show tomorrow, I will have some of these scores for you tomorrow. So... We're going to look at some scores that actually have gone final bring you up to breast uh the Washington Mystic versus the Phoenix Mercury in their first round game. The Mercury won that game. That was game played on Tuesday. Won that game by a score of 85 to 84. Then in the, yesterday, the Mercury beat the Lynx. The Minnesota Lynx. No, take that back. The Minnesota Lynx beat the Phoenix Mercury 80 to 79. And the L.A. Sparks yesterday also fell victim to, I believe this would be the Memphis Sun by a score of 73 to 59. And as we look into this particular story right here. We can pull that up. 
WNBA Playoffs 2020, the Sun and Lynx embrace underdog role in WNBA semifinals. And that can be a very painful injury. The only thing that heals it is rest. Alyssa Thomas put a star by that assist. Bonner with the bucket and a chance at a three-point play. That's been, that's been the kind of night for Connecticut. Even with the defense sagging off Thomas, she finds space to make that pass, just threads the needle. Team loves it. And there you have some highlights from WNBA action. On one side of the WNBA's 2020 semifinal bracket are two teams. Number one seed, Las Vegas. Number seven, Connecticut. That haven't won a league title. On the other side, number two, Seattle. Number four, Minnesota. Have combined to win seven championships, including six in the past decade. When the semifinals start, Sunday, the Aces face the Sun at 1 p.m. Eastern, ESPN, followed by Lynx versus Storm at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC ESPN. The top two seeds are considered clear favorites, Las Vegas and Seattle, which have had a week's rest. Both finished the regular season at 18-4, and, and they swept their semifinal opponents during the regular season. So the Sun and Lynx will fully embrace the underdog role. Here is how the two series shape up. Connecticut, Las Vegas. Good execution on both ends. In style of play, the Aces and the Sun do what they do very well. And they have some key similarities. Neither team is known for the long ball. And both are strong defensively. During the regular season, Las Vegas ranked last in three-pointers per game at 4.2. Connecticut was tied for next to last at 5.9. That said, the Sun made nine three-pointers as they trounced number three seed Los Angeles 73-59 in Thursday's second round. Also in the regular season, the Aces were second in the league in defensive rating 92.7 and the Sun were fourth 99.5. Las Vegas won both previous meetings with Connecticut this season, 99-78 on August 20 and 93-78 on September 3rd. Aces guard Kayla McBride had one of her best games of the season in the first victory with 25 points and Ajay Wilson named the league MVP on Thursday after averaging 20.5 points and 8.5 rebounds in the regular season, had 24 points in the second meeting. The second matchup showed off another big Las Vegas strength, its bench, which is the best in the league. Jackie Young, De'Erica Hamby, both starter-level talents whom Coach Bill Lambert prefers to use as reserve, who each averaged over 25 minutes per game had 20 points apiece in the latter win against Connecticut. The Suns stick to the tried and true formula of complaining about being underestimated while actually thriving in the underdog role. They rode that train all the way to the last game of the WNBA Finals last season, and they're on it again this year. 
We are absolutely excited that no one is going to pick us, Coach. Kurt Miller said, even if it's not happening, we're going to use the disrespect card. The Sun not being picked to win has nothing to do with disrespect and everything to do with them being the lower seed by a lot in the matchups with Los Angeles and Las Vegas. But whatever motivation works is undoubtedly used, and in the end, the Sun totally outplayed Chicago and Los Angeles. Connecticut started 0-5 this season, but that is a distant memory. Connecticut has back just two starters, forward Alyssa Thomas and guard forward Jasmine Thomas from last year's WNBA runner-up team. But guard forward Dewana Bonner brought the same skill and motor she had for 10 seasons in Phoenix to Connecticut. And veteran guard Brianne January has been a good addition as well. Forward Brianna Jones also has made the most of a bigger role in the post after John Quell Jones opted out of this season. The Sun came to Connecticut from Orlando in 2003. And they've been to the WNBA Finals three times. The Aces are in just their third season in Las Vegas. The franchise itself dates to the start of the WNBA in 1997 when it was the Utah Stars. The team finished, the team moved to San Antonio in 2003. In the final years in San Antonio, the franchise was left to die on the vine. Very different treatment from what it has had from much more enthusiastic ownership in Las Vegas. But like the Golden Knights in the NHL, the Aces have had pretty rapid success in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is missing center Liz Cambage, medical exemption, and guard Kelsey Plum, Achilles injury, this season. But Cambage absent in the middle has given Wilson more space inside to maneuver, and Carolyn Swartz, who quickly came out of retirement earlier this year to fill in at center again, knows her role and plays it well. Although Plum's absence hurt the Aces from three-point range, they've adapted. The addition of free agent veteran Angel McCautry, 14.4 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, has been a huge lift to the team. Seattle, Minnesota. Two former champs looking for another title run. Seattle came into the season as the league favorite to win the championship and finished tied for this best record. But with, but with both forward Brianna Stewart and point guard Sue Bird sitting out the final regular season game, a loss to Las Vegas to try to get healthier for the playoff run, the Storm dropped to the number two seed. That might not be a bad thing as they pursue the franchise's fourth WNBA title. It's not that the Storm haven't finished, haven't handled the front runners real well because they have. But maybe they will thrive with a less with a little less spotlight on them and a little more pressure on the Aces. And Stewart, the 2018 MVP, who was the primary competitor with Wilson for that honor this year, is likely to embrace the 
Okay, watch me now. Roll in the postseason. She averaged 19.7 points and 8.3 rebounds in the regular season and didn't miss a beat coming back after being out last season with a torn Achilles. The Storm have other weapons, have other have other big weapons, led by guard Jewel Lloyd, 15.5 points per game, who at any time is capable of going off as a scorer. And they have a deep group of players who are very steady, but also can have breakout offensive games, including forwards Alicia Clark and Natasha Howard, and guards Jordan Canada and Sammy Whitcomb. Orchestrating all of it, the Storm Hope will be Bird, who has been limited to 11 games because of knee issues. When Bird is on the court, never mind that she's 39, she is still the consummate expert at directing the offense, and her presence gives more confidence to everyone else for Seattle. The Storm have said all along in 2020 that this isn't just a repeat of their 2018 season when they won the franchise's third championship, even though some, much of the personnel, is the same. Coach Dan Hughes is working remotely because of health concerns, so Gary Kloppenberg has been head coach in the bubble, but with Hughes still very involved from afar. The Storm's depth should work in their favor, and they won the regular season matchups with Minnesota, Pretty handy. 90-66 way back on July 28, then 103-88 on September 6. But they also know the Lynx didn't get this far without serious aspirations of a title. Sure, the Lynx seem a little more like the scrappy bunch that just keeps finding a way. Cheryl Reeve, named Coach of the Year on Thursday, has continued to push the right buttons despite injuries. She has coached when the Lynx were best team in the league. They won four titles tw between 2011 and 2017. And she has adjusted to a team that has mostly remade itself since its last title. Star center Sylvia Fowler, calf injury, it's one holdover. But the Lynx didn't have her for about two-thirds of this season. She returned in their 80-79 playoff win over Phoenix on Thursday, playing 18 minutes with six points and four rebounds, but she's not playing at her normal dominant level right now. On Thursday, the Lynx got a terrific game inside from Damaris Dantas, 22 points, 8 rebounds, and all-around strong perimeter play. Guard Crystal Dangerfield, the WNBA Rookie of the Year, Odyssey Sims, and Rachel Bannum combined for 42 points against the Mercury. The Lynx were right in the middle of their of the pack, sixth, in scoring this regular season at 84.4 points per game. The Storm were second at 87.5. The next rating is more of a concern for Minnesota. The Storm, with both the top offensive rating and defensive rating, also have the league's best net rating at 15. The Lynx are fourth in net rating at 5.1. The bottom line, from a perimeter standpoint, the Lynx have to play similar to the way they did in beating Phoenix. But Minnesota must get much more inside, including more from forward Nafisha Collier. She didn't have many touches in the win against Phoenix, going two of six from the field. 
and the Lynx need to have her more involved if they hope to take the series from the star. So there you have it, another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Once again, thank you to all those who listen to my podcast, who have gave me the listenership. Once again, I'm elated to say that now you can catch my podcast also on Apple Podcasts and many other outlets where you get your podcasts from. And thanks to my new sponsors. Once again, you've heard another edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'll be back tomorrow with one for sure, if not two guests on my show. So once again, as I always say, grab your ticket, get on board. This train is building up ahead of steam. This is A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm out until tomorrow. Take care of yourself and each other. God bless.